Okay, well, thank you everybody so much for joining us this fine Sunday afternoon on uh, the 18th of April, 2008. And this is Free Domain Radio. My name is Stefan Molyneux. This is the number one philosophy conversation on the internet. And we are going to start with what is colloquially known as a bar BQ. And this is just with reference to our good friend Bob Barr, the double B, who is a former congressman who actually looks alarmingly like a slightly aging and slimmer norm from Cheers, and who has uh, at uh, Bob Barr, that's two R's, 2008.com, he has some of the issues, and I'm just going to talk about two of them so that some of my skepticism, to say the least, with regards to the value and use of political libertarianism can hopefully make some sense to some people. And uh, here, we're going to just have a look at two minor little issues and see, just see, if you dare, if you can, actually come up with what is inconsistent between these two positions. So uh, here, he says, the federal government must take the lead in making significant cuts in spending, focusing on earmarks, risks distracting attention from the broader problem of a government wildly wasting the money of hardworking Americans, tens of billions of dollars in corporate welfare, essentially aid to dependent corporations, should be uh, eliminated. And he also calls for, um, we must uh, have a uh, national sales tax. One of the best approaches to um, deal with uh, getting rid of the IRS and so on, getting rid of the income tax, would be to adopt some form of a consumption tax, he says, like a national sales tax, replacing the IRS and all federal income taxes, as well as payroll taxes. So that is one of his issues where the federal government is by far the best solution that you could conceivably uh, come up with uh, in terms of being able to solve uh, problems with, uh, uh, with people. So there is another issue, though, which is about gay marriage, which actually uh, he takes a little bit of a different attack with regards to gay marriage. And he says that there's no way that we should ever allow the federal government to deal with gay marriage, to uh, have legislation with regards to gay marriage. But this is an individual state's rights issue. Now, this uh, basic contradiction, which I'm sure you can see very clearly, which is that A, the, um, uh, the federal government is by far the best conceivable solution for the problem of taxation because we need a national sales tax and the federal government is a terrible and bad solution to the problem of gay marriage, which should be left to states' rights. This is uh, two web pages apart, I guess one web page apart if you think about it, on this bobbar2008.com. So why, uh, why is this important? Well, me, the philosopher, and if I uh, put out uh, even a mild contradiction spaced 200 podcasts apart, what happens is I get a deluging flurry of emails saying, aha, Steph, you've contradicted yourself here, and uh, 18 months ago in your car, you contradicted yourself there, and therefore, you know, this is a big issue that needs to be fixed. And I actually think that's fine. In fact, I think that's good. I I very much appreciate those people who help me refine and correct my thinking. So, that having been said, if I were to have on my website... Something which said, consistency, rationality, and evidence is the criteria 
other criteria for determining truth from falsehood, separating truth from falsehood. And then you click the link, and on the very next page, I said, mysticism, dreams, and tea leaf reading is the best way of separating truth from falsehood because reason and evidence don't work and are counterproductive. Would you not come to my website and just think, what an idiot? I mean, if he's not even going to try and put a veneer of rationality on his perspectives and beliefs, why would I delve any further? I mean, either Steph doesn't notice that he's rankly contradicting himself, one web page apart, or he does, uh, he, he, uh, he does notice it and doesn't care. So he's either stupid or corrupt. Those are the choices. This is not a tricky or esoteric. <laughs> this is not some sort of ontological, Pascalian, <laughs> Kantian, um, complex problem in philosophy. And of course, we know what the real deal is behind this love and hatred of the federal government. Uh, he, of course, is appealing to small-minded, bigoted, fundamentalist Christians, often rural people, which is a pretty strong libertarian base. And the reason they want the federal government to run the sales tax is that a lot of these states are net beneficiaries, particularly in terms of federal farm subsidies. So we wouldn't want the sales tax to be an individual state issue because then, well, the uh, farm states would not be able to rip off all the other states. So that would be bad for his constituents, so he's not going to advocate that. Ah, but on the other hand, the small-minded, petty, these Christians all up in arms about gay marriage? Well, he wants individual state solutions for that because he knows exactly who his target base is. These petty, vicious little cultists who have some goddamn problem with two people who happen to be gay who are loving each other getting married. Now, of course, the state shouldn't have anything to do with marriage one way or the other, but that's not what he's saying. And this is my problem, fundamentally, with political libertarianism, and we've talked about this before, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again. It is certainly one of the most popular threads in the Freedom Main Radio board. And my problem, my friends, is this. People who go to these kinds of websites, let's say that you're just some intelligent, rational, empirical, consistent-minded consistent human being without any particular knowledge of philosophy or anything like that. You go to these sites and you say, WTF? What the... <laughs> What the frack is going on? We have a guy saying, well, federal government is a solution. Federal government is the opposite of a solution. And, of course, as you go further in, I mean, and this was true of the Ron Paul campaigns, true of all political campaigns, the amount of truth pretzels you have to push into a Mobius strip, n-dimensional, pettifog, Gordian knot, lower intestine map of the London subway system mess is legion in the realm of politics. Some reasonably educated, reasonably intelligent, maybe knows a little bit of science, respects logic, somewhat secular, you know, maybe a deist, maybe a lapsed cultist or something like that. It comes to one of these websites. It's like, oh, libertarianism. Oh, interesting. Okay, so get rid of this. Then he's going to notice this contradiction right away. And I know that this is true because whenever I contradict myself, I get six million emails saying, Steph, you messed up. It's great. We fixed it up. So I know that there's an enormous number of people out there who have a really great grasp 
of consistency. It's not the hobgoblin of little minds, as Emerson said, but it is the mark of a great mind to be concerned about inconsistency. So one of these guys comes to this uh, website, and he notices this frank contradiction. And he feels uneasy. I mean, who wouldn't, right? It's like all those Republicans who talk about being tough on crime and cutting back on welfare state. Well, that to me always just seems like code for anti-black, <laughs> in my opinion. And so in this situation, federal government is the solution. Oh, no, 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 federal government is terrible. We can't use that. Why would Either this guy and all those who support him and have given all this money to him, either they don't notice that rank contradiction, in which case they're quasi-retarded ass clown fools, in which case he's just going to roll his eyes and say, oh, so libertarians are kind of retarded because they don't notice this rank contradiction. Or, which is even worse, I think, he's going to come and say, oh, so there's obviously a kind of religious bigotry, homophobia, hatred of the inevitable, the natural reality of homosexuality. And uh, they're going to say, well, these people kind of speed in a speak in a weird and creepy code about their bigotry, hatred, fear, and hostility towards gays and lesbians. Ew, he's going to say, and he's going to go and rub himself off with a nice status loofah and uh, exfoliate all of that small-minded religious libertarian bigotry from his mind. And this is going to be his formed impression of libertarianism in the future. Right? It's the same thing where, you know, Ron Paul's a scientist who says that there's, uh, evolution is invalid. I'm not a scientist. He's a doctor, trained in science at least. Evolution is invalid. He's going to say, well, if they can't resolve that nonsense, then why should I look at any, any other thing, right? I mean, if the first podcast you hear me uh, do says that two plus two is four green, blue, an elephant, and my dead grandmother at the same time, it's very unlikely that you're going to respect my capacity for math to, to continue on in the hopes that somehow my mad ramblings are going to turn into something coherent, rational, and useful later on. So either these kinds of rank, bigoted, small-minded, cultist, religious, superstitious prejudices are going to come through loud and clear to people. And they're going to say, well, I guess these people are so stupid they don't notice their own contradictions, so libertarianism simply attracts the dumb. Or they're going to think, well, they notice the contradictions, but they don't care because it serves their superstitious bigotry. All speaking in code and secret handshakes. There's a reason why libertarians are always so obsessed with the Illuminati and conspiracy theories. Jesus H. Nine times out of ten, libertarianism itself looks like some kind of creepy Christian conspiracy. Ah, you say, but libertarianism, you see, brings people to philosophy. Absolutely, that's certainly true. That certainly is true. And you know what? A not inconsequential number of people have come to FDR, to Philosophy to Freedom and Radio, through the military. Does that mean we must support the military? Because they joined the military and they found out that it was kind of evil and they were interested in finding out the truth, so they came to philosophy. It certainly is true that some people will develop healthier habits because they have diabetes. Does that mean we should create diabetes in everyone? 
course not. My concern is not the people that live it well. It's partly the, the, uh, the, the people who are turned off by political libertarianism and its rank contradictions, non-aggression policy. Let's deport the illegals. Non-aggression policy. We need lower taxes. I'm against slavery. We should beat slaves less. My concern is the people who actually come through from political libertarianism to philosophy and waste our time with their stupid ass, mealy-mouthed, weaselly justifications for their involvement in political power, who come through and waste our time because they sail right through political libertarianism and don't seem to notice one little bit about its creepy contradictions. It's outright pandering to small-minded religious bigots. This guy, obviously campaigning, aiming at rural, southern Midwest, I would imagine, constituents. Who's he going to tax? Oh, those big corporations, the defense contractors, none of which generally happen to be in these states. What is he not talking about? Cutting farm subsidies? Of course, he's just playing one base off against another. It's exactly the same shit. It's just in a different package. And it doesn't teach people to think at all. It doesn't teach people to think, to be self-critical, to examine the evidence. Guy on the board says, oh, you shouldn't be against Ron Paul. He doesn't turn off atheists. Like, like the majority of, of, of people polled who are Ron Paul supporters are atheists, as if that matters. And of course, when he wouldn't cough up the polls, and then one brave, brave listener went and dug them up. The average size was 280 people, I think, 273 people. It's not a poll. That's just a dinner party, right? It's just a bunch of self-selected opinions, and the percentage wasn't even the majority anyway. So they just make up stuff, and they just waste people's time. I put an argument out about political libertarianism. Oh, man, it's got to be... At least, well, the podcast was over six months ago, closer to a year, but the video's been out for quite some number of months, too. Over six months, for sure. And what happened um, was that I put a, a debate out, or I put an argument out, that says, uh, well, you know, government serves its constituents, and if you're going to grab a hold of the government as a libertarian and turn it against its constituents, those who donate money in order to receive government goodies, why start with the federal government? What a ridiculously ambitious plan. Why not just start with, you know, grab some Hispanic organization and infiltrate it and then make it turn against the interest of Hispanics? And all are perfectly rational. Nobody's responded to any of those arguments. I've got a whole series of arguments on the Internet about the futility and corruption of political activism. It's been out for month after month after month, and no one has addressed these arguments. Now, they all come swarming in and call me a disinformation agent and a tool of the great Satan of federalism or something like that, like some guy in Canada is in league with the CIA. But the one thing they don't do is actually respond to the arguments. And that's what troubles me about political libertarianism, is that all of these staticky idiots come swarming into the realms of philosophy and they can't think worth shit. 
and they just put up a whole bunch of defensive misdirecting crap and they can't think. They don't notice the contradictions or if they do, they don't care. So, if you hear this and you are a political libertarian, please feel free not to come by. Do not come to my website. My website, of course, nolibertarians.com. Do not come by the website. Do not pretend to be a philosopher. Do not pretend to be interested in truth. Do not pretend, pretend to be interested in ideas. Do not pretend to be interested in freedom. Because if you're not interested in the truth, you can't be interested in freedom. The two are one and the same. This is a formal invitation to all political libertarians. Please, there are lots of places where you can spit out your stupid-ass mealy-mouthed crap. You don't need to come to a philosophy forum and repeat it all. Make up all of these nonsense, ridiculous arguments. Without proof, without evidence, without reason, with no first principles. It's just another kind of bigotry. Political libertarianism is just another kind of bigoted, stupid-ass religion. So go to the Ron Paul forums, go to your little libertarian meetings, go and PHP hack your little online polls, call it a triumph for truth, virtue, and integrity. Make up all the lies you want, all the falsehoods you want about the great boon that political libertarianism has been to the cause of freedom, despite the fact that there is more hostility to libertarianism now than there was 30 years ago, that there's more misunderstanding of libertarianism now than there was 30 years ago. Philosophy is not about quantity. Philosophy is about quality. Now, politics is about quantity. And wherever you have a focus on quantity, you have the inevitable human squalling sacrifice of quality. So that's it for my intro rant. Um, if you are interested in talking, feel free to click on the request mic and um, I will be more than happy to talk to you. All right. On deck we have Mr. D. Oh, I'm sorry. We have Busy Lizzie. Uh, I think that this is actually the Queen. Hello. Him. Hello. HRH. Hello. Drop the corgi and talk. All right, let's move her back to listening. We can go on with Mr. D. Oh, sorry. Mr. Sage. Parsley uh, will be up. Uh, I think we have time. Rose? Can you hear me? PK Sage. I sure can. Oh, okay. Uh, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> um, Good, how are you? Uh, really not sure. Um, I'm not too sure the question I would like to ask because I'm. Uh, I don't know. When I think of myself, I think of uh, it's like it's like you know, life. There's lots of like rights, wrongs. Um, uh, yes, no's, appropriates, like stuff like that. I don't have an appropriate base to judge myself and um but as of lately I've been really for some reason unmotivated 
Um, I usually just end up sitting and staring straight, and uh, I uh, I don't go to school. I don't work. I um, I don't uh, play games, but. Sorry, you don't play games, or you do play games? No, no, I, I play games, but... You play games, okay. Yeah. Like, Are we talking like, uh, like, like yeah. shut off my mind. And, and, and ping pong and so on? <laughs> no, like, just, like, uh, Eve and World of Warcraft and stuff like that. Right, okay. All, if, if it matters, they're all games. And, um... And I really don't know what question to ask, but, uh... I know my feelings are accurate to what I choose in my life, and uh, I don't know what to say. Um, okay, no, that's fine. I can understand that uh, if you're feeling demotivated, then summoning the motivation to clarify a question can itself be a challenge, and that's no problem. Um, yeah, but I, can you tell me, why does it bother you that you're not motivated? What's wrong with not being motivated? Well, a while ago, sorry, it's kind of hard to talk, I don't know why, but a while ago, I, like, when I was younger, I'm 18 now, um, I had that sort of childlike curiosity, that, uh, mentality of curiosity that you always have when you're young, and as I, uh, get older, I find that, uh, more questions I ask, the more times I'm told I'm wrong, and when I was at school, like, I asked the teachers, and, like, we were doing, like, the one English class, I don't understand, because we do, uh, read books and uh, well it's not really developing and we just copy down what we read and it's really inert and I asked the teacher well like isn't there something better we could be doing he's like is there something you could offer me and they're like no just do this get get back in the box yeah (laughs) yeah and uh, so I dropped out of school (laughs) because it wasn't developmental enough and uh, when did you drop out of school well, I I'm, I'm, I basically dropped out. Uh, like, well, not I didn't drop out yet, but I'm, I stopped going roughly like a month ago. And um, really uh, sorry, is it right to say that you have like another semester or term or whatever it is? Given that you're eighteen, is it a year? Or is it half a year? Or what is got, it? Do you have? Left? I got. This was my last semester. But uh, I find myself faced with the question every time I go there and every time I do the work, and uh, basically because like the one project we had. It was uh, it was a final project, and it was all um. She said no. I think it was pronouns or something. No, I, we, or whatever. And that kind yeah. of disturbed me because I've put a lot of time into myself to develop myself. And um, when I asked her, like, and she said basically no, just like go to a site, read something, copy it up, and um, just basically like do that. And so, but I asked her, I was like, well, no, most of this is my opinion, and most of this is what I've thought. And one of the th- things I put my time into is she said, well, you can't do that. And it kind of disturbed me. So, Well, yeah, sure. I mean, see, if you're putting original thought in, I mean, I face this too, right? If you put original thought into something, then you require that the person who's reading it or listening to it also think for themselves. And for a lot of people, uh, that's not exactly fun, right? Yeah. So let me look. I mean, you don't have to convince me of the case that public school, I'm assuming it's public school, right? Um. Yeah, secondary. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, you don't have to, you know, push one breath to get my boat out of the harbor uh, when it comes to the question that public school is trying to kill your brain. 
I mean, there's no yeah. question, there's no, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that public school, uh, you may as well have people taking a two-by-four to your exposed frontal lobes. There is no question yeah. in my mind that public school is absolutely, completely, and totally trying to kill your brain. Yeah. But it is equally true that public school cannot kill your brain. Yeah. Right? Because there's a game in society which is a balancing act. And that game in society is, dear God, we have to do a lot of stupid shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, if we don't do that stupid shit, we have to do even more stupid shit later on, right? So let's say that you say, okay, well, I don't want to do this stupid shit in school. Yeah. But then what happens? Well, you don't get your high school, right? Yeah. Which means that <laughs> you're going to have a tough time doing anything but stupid crap for the rest of your life in terms of a job, right? So it's like a month of crap versus 50 years of crap, right? Yeah. Now, if it's clear to you, like if, if you go into a lion cage and you just, you know, la, 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 you know, dancing and singing along and perhaps uh, some friends have helped rub you down with some marinade and so oh. on, right? <laughs> and you're like going, man, I got a little extra roll of right tender fat here. Boy, I bet you that would be good to eat, Mr. Lion. And then it's like, <laughs> you know, you get eaten. But then it's like, dear God, I don't ever want to go back into that lion cage again, right? Yeah. I mean, assuming that you live through the eaten, uh, uh, assuming that you live through getting eaten, which I think you have to be gay and in Vegas to achieve, but I think <laughs> you can. So, but on the other hand, if you say, okay, I'm going into a lion's den, so I'm going to bring a SWAT team, 12 tasers and some nerve gas right? Yeah. Then you're going to feel less concerned or less afraid about being in that lion's den, right? Yeah. I'm sorry, so what if the... Uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, what would the uh, taser gas and SWAT team symbolize? Uh, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but we understand okay. that with regards to the lion's den, right? Yeah. So, if you go in and you say, okay, they're going to try and kill my brain, but they can't actually kill my brain, right? Because your brain is in your head, and the two-by-four, which we talked about earlier, is a metaphor, right? They're not actually yeah. able to kill your brain. Yeah. Able so, to stun it somewhere. <laughs> well, they're, they're able to... What they're able to do is to try and get you to shut, shut it down. But they can't... They, there's no switch. They can't... You know, they don't do open brain surgery. You don't get lobotomized. There's no switch. They're just trying to convince you that you should kill your brain, right? Yeah. Now, if you, if you recognize, and I'm sure that you do to some degree, and I'm just trying to make that all more conscious, if you recognize that public school is a lion's den for your, brave, for, your, for your courage, for your intelligence, for your curiosity, for your joy of learning, for your depth of humanity, if you recognize oh. that it's just a predatory environment, then you can go in there with your tasers, with your SWAT team, you know, with no marinade, right? Yeah. And maybe you're sort of jumping along like you're in a shock cage on land or something, making it move with you. But you're safer, right? And I would say that philosophy is that safety. Yeah. Uh, you're new to this conversation, I'm guessing. So a lot of people think philosophy is just, you know, sitting around scratching well, at your toga well, and talking about the nature of ethics and getting nowhere. But the way we talk well, about philosophy here is that it's, it's urban combat. It's an extreme sport. And if you fully recognize the danger of the environment that you're in, then you can go in and you can be under fire, right? You don't play hacky sack yeah. when you're under fire. You take cover and you can do the same thing in public school through a variety of 
of ways. But I'm sorry, you, you had something you wanted to say? Oh, I was going to say that um, I've always been quite into philosophy I'm, uh, since I was born. I was kind of inspired by my cousin because he was always one of those guys on the side. And uh, But I was going to say that I actually do kind of got a grasp of high school because um, well, like, one of my friends, as I talked to him, like I didn't really realize myself and uh, my type of arguments I'd bring up, but uh, he used to be one of those kids who was a uh, quote-unquote good child and um, uh, and he would do his work, do his uh, all that stuff. He uh, didn't swear much. And, but when I started talking to him, <laughs> he started converting into this t- person with more rebelliousness. And I was like, why did he do that? Then I realized myself a little bit more. And uh, we had, we always used to talk about the school system and how it was a little bit off. And uh, <laughs> we had, um, uh, like, it's the uh, Ministry of Board or Ministry of Education came over. All the teachers dawdled themselves up to make them look something they're not all a delusion name for some sort of professional look that isn't really there in my opinion and um he he came up to me and this is like i was like kind of losing my mind at this point i didn't really know what i was going to do with myself and i still don't but he said to me he came up to me i was on the computer and he said to me like uh, i guess did, did you hear the news and he's, i was like what and he's like um the ministry of education's here and i'm like oh yeah and he's like well don't you want to talk to them and i was like oh no not really and he's like oh why and i said well if you consider the way the school is ran and how they're so strict on it it's going to be difficult because and uh, especially if you're just one kid or two kids with the letter they're probably dealt with people like that before and the, the kids probably like um well, like, and they, and they have their entire job based on defending this thing. And uh, I said, it, now, it's, I'm sorry, it's I'm sorry to interrupt that. you. I, I really yeah, do sure. apologize for interrupting you, but but as I said, you don't have to convince me that that this is a bad situation. But let me ask you one other question, if you I don't mind. Saying that I, yes. What um what I'm concerned about a little bit in terms of the way that you're talking about things is that I do get a strong sense of of solitude or solitariness from you, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um. I'm not too sure about the word solitary, but also it's because I don't really understand it, my vocabulary. Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, let, <laughs> let me ask you this. I mean, um, ha- how are your parents doing with you not going to school? Uh, my mom, like, I told her that the reason, like, it's odd to uh, focus on little things like materialistic things and focus on school and you can look at the economy and the way everything's going right now. And I had a huge talk with her and it was nice. It was quiet. It was mellow. There's no yelling. It was great. <laughs> And there's yelling every now and then, and anger, by my opinion, is only, uh, I find the defensives only um, lack of knowledge about what they're doing, or I find the offensives, like, dominating, I guess. But um, I had a conversation with her that, oh, I can't remember that well, that um, basically was talking about um, how it's, how can I focus on doing anything when, like, the economy is going bad, and like there's war, and the average person's mentality in a high context like society and stuff like that. And then right after it, after going on about all this stuff and whatever, she basically said to me, like, uh, well, why don't you just go to school? Right, so she wasn't really listening yeah. to these sort of existential concerns. <laughs> now, you and I both know, and again, I'm perfectly comfortable with this, that there is a you know a hell of a lot of corruption and ignorance in society, largely because the public uh, yeah. schools are so solely dedicated to crushing people's thought and curiosity. But my my question to you is this: is like the fact that there is evil and corruption and stupidity in the world. Why would that paralyze you? 
Right? I mean, the fact that other people, it's like I'm saying, well, I can't read a book because other people are illiterate. Like, I'm not sure why the moral decisions that other people make would determine your direction. That's one of the things that's been messing with me the most lately is because I don't know why I'm so unmotivated. Like, before I was like, well, have you ever heard of, I'm not sure if you've heard about parkour, but I, I used to help people and teach them a bit. But, and, um, like, but I don't understand why I'm so unmotivated. It's like, I well, guess it's because I'm, I'm unsure of myself. I'm telling, I'll tell you this. It's not because the world is corrupt. Because right? you want to make sure you don't have the wrong answers for things. Because if you have the wrong answers for things, you stop looking for new answers, right? Yeah. It's not because the world is corrupt. Because uh, a wise man, and it sounds like you're very intelligent, right? But a wise man yeah. says... The fact that the world is corrupt is exactly why we should pursue wisdom, right? I mean, we don't say, well, there's a lot of sick people in the world, so why bother being a doctor? It's like we want to be a doctor because there are sick people in the world. Yeah. Doctors are the most needed the more sick the world gets, and philosophers are the most needed when society gets more corrupt. So yeah. it's not because there's corruption in the world that you feel unmotivated. Yeah, well, it's I've always tried to... Uh, explain to people and to um, give people a new perspective. I've always been pretty good when a person comes to me because if they will, they'll be better. Of course, they're obviously already going to be better if they're willing, that dedicated and looking for help and aware of what they're doing. But like, um, I've noticed people and seen if they've been a little bit off and uh, I've tried to help them a bit, but I'm not sure if that could be ignorance. Well, but why um, is it if you're, feeling, if you're feeling unmotivated, why would you be focused on healthy, helping other people? Yeah, for my own lack of motivation, maybe. Well, have you asked people to help you? Um, other than today, say. <laughs> um, probably not. I've always been kind of quiet. And um, uh, do you have a circle of friends? Uh, have you talked to them about your feels of the world and your lack of motivation? Um, I haven't talked to them about anything personal, but we do talk about like philosophical stuff and stuff like that. And yeah, stop doing that. Really? Yeah, stop doing that. What you need to do, because you, you're going to have the rest of your life to talk about philosophy, but the important thing right now is not where the economy is going, but where your life is going, right? I mean, you don't yeah. want to say, well, there's uh, you know 2% increase in joblessness, so I'm not going to get out of bed today, right? That's surrendering your power as an individual to events, circumstances, and environments completely outside of your control, right? Be like saying, well, I'm not going to get out of bed today because it's raining or it's cloudy. Well, that's just having no internal, what's called an internal locus of control. Who is it who runs your life? Is it the corruption of the world that crushes you like a tsunami takes down a Thai village? Or is it you who say, look, I'm going to rise and do battle with the demon, and I, in fact, want the corruption of the world to be better because the bigger the enemy, the greater the glory in, huh. in vanquishing or standing against it, right? But talking about philosophy with your friends isn't going to help because what you have, fundamentally, in my, in my opinion, is just an opinion is you have an emotional despair or an emotional depression. And yeah. the causes that could be complex and, and I mentioned have something to do with not being heard or visible, heard by or visible to your own mother. But you want to talk about your thoughts and feelings in particular with your friends. Now, if you find that your friends don't want to hear squat about what's going on for you emotionally, 
then that's one answer as to why you're feeling down and unmotivated because you're surrounded by people who don't really actually care for you much at all. Yeah. Um, and you will avoid that knowledge, and I understand that. It's, very, it's unpleasant and painful knowledge to have, but you want to avoid that knowledge by avoiding your emotions and your actual experience of life and talk about abstract topics instead, right? Yeah. But I would um, say do that. Talk about your, your feelings and what's going on for you in your heart and in your soul and find out who cares about you and not who's willing to pass the time with you talking about abstract topics that don't cut to the core of what's going on for you as a human being. Yeah, true. Um, I don't know. I've never really tried to bring up a conversation with my friends about myself. It's just uh, when I've generally talked to people about something, um, I find there's way too much prejudice in a personal type of stereotype that everybody has. And, um, People seem to have some kind of, uh, like, well, I guess you could say ego. <laughs> if we had no ego, that'd be nice. But, sorry, I'm just trying to get a basis on what I was going to say. Wait, wait, so, sorry, you're saying to me that people avoid deep topics? Yeah, basically. But, and, um, but, but, but that's what you're doing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I mean, tell, me still, how this gun, tell me how this gun doesn't go off in your hand, right? It's when I try to talk to people. It's when I actually try to get into a deep talk. It's topic. It's like they're too used to like a sort of physical outside perspective and their personal type of stereotype. Like a thing I usually tell people is like I compare the word love to like between uh, two different types of uh, young girls or boys or whatever who've been raised by their parents, and I say like, well. The perspectives of each, or I use it as an example, I'll tell you. But um, the first girl is ri risen with um, a more oh, accurate... Wait, wait, wait. Like, See, you're, you're trying to do it to me now, right? Um, probably. <laughs> like, we're, we're talking about your, your feelings, right? And you're launching onto some abstract topic, right? Well, I was going to try and describe it. It may, may be a longer description, but uh, it's... And no, no. Means, you see, when saying. you have feelings, you don't need to have big abstract allegories to describe them. You say, I feel sad, I feel angry, I feel frustrated, I feel, I feel down, I feel whatever, I feel I have no energy, right? And you don't have to do this with me, and I, you know, I can't spend all the show on this, but what right. I would say is that you do, if, if you start launching into long, long allegorical descriptions of how you're feeling, that's a long way uh, of, of not saying anything, right? Because people are going to find it hard to follow. And if they do respond, they're going to respond to the abstract allegory rather than how you're actually feeling, which is where you need to get to. We can't complain about the state of the world if we're contributing to that which we complain about. I mean, we can, but it's just not very logical, right? And I, I can guess that you're a very logical fellow and very intelligent and want to live with consistency. So we can sit back and we can complain that the conversations in the world are shallow and inconsequential. But we can change that by simply being relentlessly deep and meaningful, right? And then some, yeah. most people will run away, but a few people will be drawn to us, and those are the people that we can fix in our hearts, sometimes for our entire lives. But I think you want to, because this is a young man's mistake, and I'm going to be annoying older guy <laughs> here, but the uh, young man's mistake is to complain about the world which he is contributing to, right? Complain about the problems in the world that he is contributing to. And that's just uh, something that comes from youth. And then, I, you know, again, apologies for being an annoying uh, elderly guy, but 
I think what you want to do is just open up your heart to the people around you. Uh, That's going to be scary. That's going to be unpleasant. And that's going to, more times than not, result in rejection. But so what? I mean, you're not made of glass. You can survive and you will find your way through to the people who you can really connect with, who who you can really have intimate and and deep conversations. I will uh, suggest... Uh, and this will cost you nothing, nothing, my friend, which is go to freedomainradio.com forward slash free. There is uh, a free audio book there uh, called On Truth, The Tyranny of Illusion, which is really about this and in particular about the family. Uh, I can guarantee you that this will be worth um, your, your two hours investment to listen to it for sure. Oh, okay. So go, and I'm sorry, I'm going to move on to the next call, and I really do appreciate oh, okay. your call in. I know it's tough stuff to talk about. But um, uh, just talk, talk simply as, you, as, as simply as you can about what's going on in your heart and um, try and stay open and vulnerable with people. And that will, uh, I, I can guarantee you, it'll be hard to stay unmotivated when you're doing that because it's so damn terrifying <laughs> and so yeah. exciting. So uh, thank simple you so much. Okay, I'm sorry? Well, yeah, thanks so much. Uh, do let me know what you think of the book. All right. Mr. D? Hello. Can you hear me? Don't. Don't. Don't go. Sorry, go on. <laughs> can, can you hear me? Don't stop now. Don't you know I'm going to talk to him? Go. Sorry, go on. Yes, I can. Oh, God. Well, I'm, well, I'm getting can you just mark that yes. down as a time to edit there, sweetie? We want to take that out and put Alice in my Moye in action. Absolutely. But sorry, go on. Singing as a response. So, yeah. So, my question is I have this. I'm sort of dealing with this issue of objective law under the DRO system. Um, it might be too large of a question, so feel free to just pass it, me on to a podcast if, if that's the best way to answer it. But um, I was sure of sort of the, the Ayn Rand view of, of needing the government for an objective law um, versus the sort of um, anarchist view of, of DROs sort of being able to... Uh, how do you right, get rid right, of that? Uns- just, just, for those, just for those who haven't read the Rand stuff on this, her basic response to the anarchistic argument, which is private um, security forces or private police or private armies, is you know a, a guy from neighborhood A uh, who has his own defense group uh, goes into neighborhood B, which have their own defense group, and how are you going to mediate that? It won't work. Therefore, you need a government. That was sort of that's her, her approach, if I remember rightly. Right. Exactly. Um, and it doesn't seem entirely right to me, but I also. I have a hard time imagining how um, the whole DRO system would create a, I guess, rational or objective sort of set of laws. For instance, like if DROs were set up, I guess, in, um, you know, fun- Islamic fundamentalist area, would all the DROs basically just have the laws that currently exist of like, you know, oppressing women, et cetera? Oh, like no, how do you, no. how do you, no, right. that, that okay, so maybe you can explain that to me. Sure. Well, first of all, let, let's, let's figure out what we're comparing the DRO system to, right? Because if we have this belief, and I would call it a fantasy, but if we have this belief that state law is objective and moral and good and, and just and so on, then, of course, anything that is not equal to that will feel like uh, it misses the mark, right? Yeah, I don't have that view, but yeah. Well, no, but see, you, you, you use the phrase objective law, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I'm not sure, perhaps you can help me understand how the phrase sure. objective law would be used to describe the opinions of people with a lot of guns called the government. Right, right. I, 
I, I don't think I was saying, um, well, maybe I am using that term that I'm sort of equating objective law with, with government. Uh, well, but I, I, mean, I, I guess, if, if, sorry, if you're not using that term, then it's a misleading term to use, right? Because if right. I say, I have this medicine which can give you perfect health, but DRO medicine will only make you 80% well, then if, mm. already DRO medicine has lost, right? Because who's not going to want perfect health, right? So if you have something which the state provides called objective law, and law is not is another term that is used that is evocative uh, in, mm. in terms of its emotional content, right? Because yeah. you could say you could say what um, what DROs provide is is a free market of optimized rules uh, based on nonviolence, right? Um, and and then you could also say that uh, on the other hand, the government has a bunch of uh, self-serving opinions. Um, the, held by a monopoly of criminals and enforced uh, through violence, right? Right. In, in which case, right. the DRO thing sounds a whole lot better. And again, I know this isn't just marketing, but when we, when we associate the words law and objectivity with government, it seems mm -hmm. to me that based on the reality of what government is, which a bunch of guys with guns forcing everyone else to basically hand over goods, money, children, and blood, it's hard for me to see how that system of enforced and violent and self-interested opinion can be called objective law, but I'm perfectly willing to accept the case if I've missed something. That's that's fine. Maybe uh, maybe I should be using a different term. Well, I guess uh, a lot of times, in sort of in your podcast, you're talking about being a, a sort of slave to the truth, to sort of finding out what the right way to do things is, what the truth is. Um, sure. So if we assume that there is that in existence, and we're all sort of you know, using scientific principles and et cetera, logic reason to it, to find, figure out what that truth is. How do we, how does DROs allow us to get to a, the right way to do things, to, to, get to that truth, that rational? Well, sure. I mean, I think that's, yeah. a, I mean, that's a perfectly reasonable question. And uh, there's going to be some annoying Weasley limitations in my answers because you, you don't go to an economist and say, well, in order for you to prove that a free market is better than a, a centrally planned coercive system, you need mm -hmm. to tell me what the stock price of IBM is going to be in 20 years, right? <laughs> right. So I can't tell you how DROs are going to work in reality. I can tell you some principles that I think would make sense. But we can start, if you like, with this question of, of Sharia. And we'll, we'll talk about this. There's a podcast 325 which goes into this as well, but we'll just touch on it briefly here. Okay. Sharia law, uh, which is, 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 is incredibly economically inefficient, and it's very expensive compared to laws which are simply against you know, theft, rape, murder, and assault, and so on, right? Because any law that is proactive rather than reactive is incredibly expensive, right? So a law which says don't steal lies dormant until somebody steals, right? Right. But a law which says you can't re wear green um, every other Thursday has to have all of these guys swarming around checking people, oh, are you wearing green underpants and so on, right? Um, well, isn't that reactive too? Like when someone wears the green pants, then you react and say you're not supposed to wear the green pants? No, the difference is that in the case of... of um, uh, in the case of murder and uh, rape and, and theft and so on, there is a yeah. complainant, right, who brings the matter forward to the DRO or to the government. Oh, right? I see. So there's someone else involved that complains about that happening. Well, no, it's not that there's someone else involved. The reason that it's reactive is the government 
or let's just say the law agency, it just sits around until someone phones up and says, I was robbed, right? Uh-huh. Right? So, whereas a government or a, a law agency that is out there saying, you can't in- import oh, uh, Cuban okay. cigars, right? They have to go and check all of these boxes. There's no one who's complaining, right? It's like, it's right, like drugs, right? right? Uh, the reason, one of the reasons the drug war is so hellaciously expensive is because there's no one complaining except the government who has to act on the part of everyone who's supposed to be complaining but who isn't, right? So they have okay. to, you know... So I, I think... So proactive law, which to me is the definition of injustice, but it doesn't matter, right? We're just looking at it from an economic standpoint. Mm-hmm. Any law which has to be vigorously pursued in the absence of a complainant mm-hmm. is going to be many times more expensive than a reactive law, right? Right. You sound woefully unconvinced. No, I I understand where you're going with this. So the so the so <laughs> but that having a law that system. Mean, sorry, that doesn't mean the same as saying that you accept the argument, which is fine. We can. Oh, we can yeah. the argument. <laughs> No, I accept that. I absolutely accept it. Yeah. Steph, I do understand that you're speaking English. Let's continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So so when we um, when we move things to a free market, the one thing we know for sure is that the more effective and the less expensive is going to win out over the less effective and the more expensive, right? Mm-hmm. Right? You can't sell a Lada for twice the price of a Lamborghini in a free market system, right? <laughs> right. I mean, you just can't, right? Mm-hmm. So where things are less efficient and more expensive, the free market will eliminate them with uh, a, you know, a sort of fascistic eugenic style of efficiency, right? Right. So where we have something like Sharia law, the DROs who, who are going to enforce Sharia law are going to charge like $5,000 a month, right? Mm-hmm. And the DROs that aren't going to ins- uh, enforce Sharia law are going to charge like 50 bucks a month, right? Right. So how long do you think Sharia law is going to last in a free society? Not very long. Well, it'll be minutes, right? Suddenly everyone will say, you know what? I think I just found a slightly deistic streak in my pocketbook, right? <laughs> right. So, so uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, okay. So uh, I'm sure you have more to this argument, but uh, the efficiency and cheapness of of the things, is there, what about the, like, what if it was more efficient and cheap to, I don't know, to... Um, to enact some sort of Islamic law, like what? How? Do, how? How are those things prevented? Those immoral things? Is it just? Is it all covered under the efficient and cheap? Um, well, okay. So let's say that you are in a um, a free market environment with DROs, and they're charging fifty bucks a month to guarantee your life and property. Uh-huh. And you say, "I'm going to set up Sharia law. I'm going to set up a Sharia law DRO." Right. Well. No DRO is going to be able to operate in isolation, right? That's like saying, I want to start a credit card company that only deals with one store, right? Sure, sure. And can't ever be used anywhere else and, and so on, right? And is much mm-hmm. more expensive than anyone else's, right? And, and you can't ever use, take money out of the bank. And I know that there are credit card stores and so on, but that's, that's sort of optional and doesn't cost people money and, in fact, saves the money if they use it wisely. So mm-hmm. if you're going to start up a DRO enforcement agency you're going to have to lay out millions of dollars ahead of time, right? Because the first guy to walk through your door is going to expect you to enforce Sharia law, right? 
So you've got already got to have all of the um, uh, all of the enforcers, so to speak, already on the payroll. They've got to be trained, and you will have had you hopefully well in order to get anything to work. You will have to at least have some reciprocal agreements with other DROs, right? Mm-hmm. So how much are you going to? So let's say it's going to cost you five million dollars to set up your DRO. How much are you going to charge the first guy who comes in? A lot. Well, you're going to have to like you're going to have to charge him quite a bit, right? Yeah. And now the problem is if you say, "Okay, yeah, I can protect you for a month for 5 million dollars," he's going to say, "Thanks, but," right? Right. Now, if you're going to get all like so you'd have to get like, I don't know, 10,000 people to sign up to your DRO, right? Mhm. And they would then be signing up for a DRO where the entire costs of this enforcement would be borne by themselves. Right, because Sharia law only works in Muslim countries because the Muslim government shoots competing governments and shoots anyone who doesn't pay for Sharia law, right? Mm-hmm. But if you, if you bring in competition and you take out the equation of pay me or I'll kill you, then the, the, the total costs of enforcing crazy laws will fall upon those who want those crazy laws, right? Right. So, so they want to pay for it because it simply can't work economically. Because if you say to – let's say you go to another DRO. You're like Sharia law DRO guy, right? You go to another DRO and you say, wham, you know, here's my <laughs> enormously thick book of laws that I want you to enforce. And I'll enforce yours and you'll enforce mine and so on, right? Right. What's the other DRO going to say? No way. <laughs> Customer. <laughs> I think the, 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 uh, the technical phrase is fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> Are you crazy? Because how offensive is it going to be for all of his customers if he's now going to think about enforcing DR, uh, Sharia law? He's going to have right. to pass those costs along to his customers, right? And, of course, every single female customer he has who's not Muslim will, will quit immediately, right? Mm-hmm. And go and find some other more reasonable DRO, right? Right. And everyone who's not a Muslim will quit his DRO immediately because they don't want to pay for the enforcement of Muslim laws, right? Right. So if you say to your customers, hey, I'm going to enforce a whole bunch of highly offensive laws that you find you know, completely impractical uh, and, and don't want, and I'm going to raise your rates from $50 to $500 a month, mm-hmm. what are his customers going to do? They're going to leave. Well, of course they're going to leave, right? So it's, it's just not possible. It's just, as long as you have free association, it's not possible. These crazy-ass laws are only possible because you can coerce people to pay for them, right? So, I mean, there's lots of people who don't like drugs, right? Right. And, of course, in a DRO society, be like, okay, if you don't like drugs, you can either have the, the policy where we don't enforce a ban on drugs for 50 bucks a month, or you can enforce... Uh, the, we can work to enforce uh, drugs, and it's going to be a thousand bucks a month, right? How how are the, how are the DROs? Uh, maybe this is a simple question, but sorry, how let, are the let DROs, me just go back. Let me just go back yeah. once, just before we finish that point. I'm sorry, I did sound like it finished, but that's always an incorrect assumption. Never. Finished, <laughs> but, um, but also, the DRO is going to say it's going to be a thousand bucks a month to enforce anti-drug rules, only if I can get. 20,000 people to sign up. And if I can't get 20,000 people to sign up, then it's not going to work, right? Right. 
and this is, I mean, when you, when you create a new toy, you, you do a prototype. And then what you do is you say, okay, well, if we can get Walmart and if we can get Kmart and if we can get, you know, Target and we can get all these customers, like if we can get a minimum number of orders, we'll go to production, right? Right. So the DROs are going to say, okay, you all, you've, got, you've got three people coming in here wanting crazy-ass rules. You know, we'll, we'll sell a massive premium set of rules to people, but only if we get a minimum number of people. Because otherwise, the costs of enforcement are going to I mean, vastly greater than the income that we're getting from enforcing these rules, right? Right. And, of course, their shareholders, their board of directors, that would never let that happen. Never in a million years, right? Or if a DRO was stupid enough to do it, they'd just go out of business in about three days, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I can, I can understand how that works uh, with uh, sort of Sharia law, with, with laws that are sort of crazy and, and wacky, as you say. Are, are there any, are there any, um, are there any laws that could be efficient and cheap, but would be deemed irrational or or immoral? I guess I'm looking I for. Mean, if, if I don't know. Uh, you can uh, <laughs> you can think of one if you want, but it doesn't matter if there's an exception. Like seriously, me being annoying again, it doesn't matter if there's going to be an exception because you see, if there is an exception, let's say that we can come up with 50 laws that are irrational and cheap. Right then for sure we should never have a government because that's the first thing the government is going to do, right? Right. Because it's going to, put, it's going to find whoever wants those laws by their votes by selling them back these, quote, laws, which it's going to enforce by pay, forcing everyone else to pay for them, right? So if laws, if the irrationality and cheapness of laws is a problem, then the government is the worst conceivable problem, is the worst conceivable solution to that because for the government, everything is free, Right. Right. So either it's not a big problem, in which case the DRO system should work, or will work, or it is a huge problem, in which case we desperately need a DRO system, because if cheap and, and crazy laws are a bad thing, mm -hmm. then the government is the worst conceivable solution, because for the government, everything is not just cheap, but free. I mean, how much does, does uh, George Bush pay for the enforcement of the drug war out of his own pocket? Right. Well, the government doesn't shy away from things that are incre incredibly expensive. Um, yeah, no, I understand they... that, but we're okay. just talking about crazy stuff that's cheap, right? And that's why I say it doesn't matter. Either it's not a big issue, in which case DROs will work fine, or, it's a, or it is a big issue, in which case we need DROs instead of a government. Now, you know, all roads lead to freedom, right? I mean, no matter what the problem is, the solution is nonviolence, right? Unless it's like direct self-defense or something. I, I, I guess I didn't get that last point with the government. Um, okay, we'll, we'll take a, another swing at it, and it's, it's kind of an elusive and subtle one, right? So if the criteria is enforcing crazy laws and they're cheap, and that's bad, right? Right. That's, that, was the, that was the category, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, so if laws are cheap for those who enact them and crazy, that's bad, right? Right. Now, is it more expensive for a DRO to enforce a cheap law or like for an individual DRO in terms of its, its, its uh, balance sheet, its, its, its profits and losses? Let's say that we have a law that's crazy that costs a million dollars only a month to enforce. Uh -huh. Is it like that's going to be rough, right? So because you have it's going to cost a million dollars, but the DRO might do it because the DRO is crazy, right? Okay. 
So if we say that a cheap but crazy law is bad, at least it's limited by the fact that it costs the DRO something to enforce it, right? Right. Whereas it costs the government nothing to enforce crazy laws. Oh, got it. Okay. Right? So, so they don't either even have... Uh, right. Sorry, there's three. Sorry, I'm sorry to be. This just I'll just go once more. Three possibilities. Either there's no such thing as a cheap, crazy law, in which case DROs are fine, right? Right. Or there's only a few, in which case DROs are fine, right? Mm-hmm. Or there's a whole lot of them, in which case we desperately need a DRO system because the only thing that's going to limit the enactment of these cheap, crazy laws is vicious competition between DROs to keep costs low, right? Right. I see what you're saying. Because the government, it's all free for the government. Free crazy laws is worse than cheap crazy laws, right? Right. Got it. Okay. So they, they don't even have the motivation of even that small amount of cost because it's, it's, it's coming out of not their pockets. Well, uh, and, and actually it's quite the opposite. It's not just that they have no motivation to, to not enact crazy laws. They have every motivation to enact crazy laws because if there's some guy who says... I want a national don't put leprechaun in your pants day. Right. Right. And there's like, there's like 20 guys who want this. Of course, uh-huh. the DRO is just going to laugh at them, right? Unless they're right. Irish, in which case it's going to take cover. But, um, uh, but the, the, uh, the, the government is going to say, well, shit, it doesn't cost me anything and I get 20 more votes. Hmm. Yeah. If they have a really good lobbying party or whatever, then sure. Yeah, for sure. Now, of course, I mean, in reality, the government would, would balance that with how many people think they're nuts or whatever. But, but with the government, because they get benefit for enacting crazy laws, which explains the whole drug war and all the other nonsense, right? They yeah. get a huge benefit from enacting crazy laws and it costs them nothing. So if, if cheap crazy laws are bad and free crazy laws are bad, how bad are crazy laws that you get paid to enact? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. through votes and through donations and so on, right? Right, right. So no matter what happens, the solution is never the government, right? Right. So maybe you can, um, to move on for, from that question, thank you for answering that. It really clears things up. Um, let's say you have a DRO that you know says, uh, my dog's, I don't know, not allowed to poop in your yard or something. Uh, but under my DRO laws, that's fine. Like I can... My dog can poop wherever he wants to. Is it that since we're under different DROs that ours, like there's, how does that conflict resolved? Um, well, I mean, my, my suggestion would be that neighborhoods would probably, uh, somebody would build a neighborhood and say, these are the DROs that we work with, right? You can have some choices or whatever, but there could be some limitations that way. The other thing too is that you would simply, if you wanted a DRO to enforce the dog pooping thing, you'd just pay extra for it, right? Yeah, but but wouldn't that only ex- like wouldn't you only comply with that if you were under the same DROs as I was? Oh no, no, because we we would have agreements, right? Right, like like you can go to France and put your card into an ATM machine and uh-huh. pull out money, right? Even though you have no bank in France, right? Because they all have reciprocal agreements, right? Okay, so the DROs themselves would have agreements about what to do in those situations. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, so if we, if we, did, if we had to, um, and, and if I had a DRO, what I would do is, I, I mean, part of my whole advertising thing would be, I will work out your conflict with any DRO. 
Mm. you know, that is registered in the DRO association and has a decent contract rating or whatever, right? But that would right. be my sale. Like, don't worry about a thing. I'm going to deal with every DRO that you're ever going to need to worry about. And that's going to be my, my deal to you, right? Right, right. Because you don't have to sit there and go, geez, I wonder if this store takes Visa, right? Mm-hmm. Right. What you want is the credit card where you just go, unless it's like a guy selling, I don't know, the heads of, of heretics in a, in a store in, in, uh, in uh, Azkaban, then it's going to take Visa, right? Everywhere I go in the world, I don't need to worry about it. There's traveler's checks too, right? The, the wider the application, the more customers you're going to have, right? Right, right. That's now, true. the other thing too is that if you, if you and I are neighbors and we mm-hmm. can work out the dark pooping thing, then we can save ourselves maybe a couple of bucks a month, right? <laughs> right. So there's a, positive, there's a positive incentive for us to work out our, our – like the more that we can work out with, with each other peacefully, the less yeah. we have to pay for the euros, right? That's true, yeah. Because right now every asshole on the planet can go lobby City Hall and get stupid ordinances passed, right? Like we've got one in, in, in Toronto now, which is like you can't use any pesticides on your lawn, right? Yeah. And yet I'm also not allowed to pee on my lawn. I mean, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> okay, it makes a little sense that last one, but but see, there's there's a negative. Oh, sorry, there's a positive incentive for resolving things peacefully, right? Right. That's correct. Right. Right. Now, listen. Uh, we've got some people who are uh, chomping at the bit a little bit. If you would like to, um, we can pick this up another time if you like. And these are great questions. And you know, it's been a while since we've talked DRO stuff, so I'm more than happy to do it. But uh, I just want to, you know, for the people who don't understand what the hell we're talking about, we might want to move them up a bit. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's sufficient for my question. Thanks a lot, Steph. Okay, and don't forget, you can do a search through the Philosophician at uh, freedomainradio.com forward slash P-H-I-P-H-Y, uh, and you can okay. just do a search for DROs, and there's lots of, um, lots of podcasts on them. Great. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, man. Oh, somebody has just come in who uh, wishes to talk. Hello. Ah, eu tenho Europe. que ver esses grupos o que é isso, né? Uh-huh. Wait, wait, I'm just putting the babblefish in my ear. Steph, okay. you have Se one entrar aqui, né? É isso? Yeah. No, no, aqui. sorry, that's two sexy Aí nipples. Ele vai entrar no... No, wait, sorry, that's three sexy nipples. Okay, this is getting a little odd. Oh, he's gone. Okay, sorry, uh, we can uh, bring in the next person. Hello! Adenauer. I'm not even going to try and pronounce all of that, but your name ends with 23. Are you on? Are you live? You wish to talk. He has gone too. I have uh, forgotten this, uh, this deck of cards shuffle of the Skype cast. All right. We have Mr. Nilton. Who is listening? Hola. Hola. Stefan. Hello. Stefan. Hi. Hi. Sorry, I don't know speak English. Okay. Uh, my, my knowledge no. of anything but English is silly. So, But if you have a question or comment that you can manage out, I'm happy to hear it if I can. Okay. Excellent. Arulson? Hello, are you Good night. Hi. Good night. Good night. Hey, that how sounds like first date. I'm good. How are you? Hi. 
Okay, we're going to move him to listening, and we'll try with... Uh, has he been on before? No? First one, okay. PK Sage, I think that you are up. If you have a mic, feel Hi. free to uh, gesture. You've got okay, your webcam. Um, is God's sake, man, put your pants back on. Sorry, <laughs> go on. I'm sorry, I just have one thing to say. Um, a question I found myself answering is, like, I just thought about it. And uh, sorry, if, I'm not sure if you have, like, a certain amount of things you, or chances or whatever. Um, after that English essay, I found myself finding, uh, having to choose between the question of um, uh, living in the Western culture and just doing and just sort of living just to get by or doing the project the way I want to and live in a better life, but like a less, uh, I guess, you could, valuable type life. And I find myself, I have to answer that question before I do anything, and I think that's why I'm no longer motivated. Okay, and that certainly could be the case. Um, and I'm sorry, but we've just got a bunch of other people who were waiting, so um, we okay. can talk about that another time if that's all right. But have a listen to yep. that book that I recommended. I think you'll really enjoy it. Yep. Thank you. All right, should we even try with somebody named Jean-Pierre who is looking up my last name? Let's give it a shot. Monsieur le Jean-Pierre, huh? Trois, sept, trois. Oh dear, I think I just went from Molyneux to Moulinex. No? Okay, let's try Mr. Paul. Uh, scroll up. All right. Paul, uh, I think you are up. Hey, Steph, can you hear me? I'm sorry, could you repeat that in Urdu, please? But can you hear me all right? I sure can. <laughs> all right. What I had a question for was you told me to go ahead and address you with, on, uh, with it on Sunday. And it was when I went over my introductory post on FDR. It was about your value theory. Remember that? The coconuts. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Yes. Go ahead. Actually, actually, they were oranges on your <laughs> on your podcast. But yeah, you could say that coconuts orange don't matter. Oh, um, the coconut thing. I guess you don't have a webcam running. I just did a dance with that, uh, and you don't even want to know what's going on with the coconuts. But uh, anyway, sorry. Go on. Yeah, you said. Uh, I just wanted to maybe get a little clarification on your position on the value theory. You said um, the 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 oranges and the and the abstract hypothetical scenario. You said uh, if the the oranges are up on the tree uh they are not they are not valuable until somebody goes and picks them uh once once somebody picks them and and appropriates them then they are valuable uh, i'm sorry i guess to be really annoying nitpicky uh if i remember rightly i use the phrase have value they do not have value as long as they're inaccessible and my metaphor was if there's some guy i mean you can want the oranges but they don't actually have any value in terms of being able to be consumed or planted or um, traded or whatever. They don't have value until you can actually um, get a hold of them. So a guy in a wheelchair who can't climb the orange tree um, is not, not going to be able to convert the oranges into that which has value, despite the fact that he may really want some vitamin C. Well, I, I probably disagree with that. Actually, I do disagree with that because um, wouldn't it make sense that uh, the oranges are valued ahead of time before they're appropriated. I mean, it makes sense if somebody would exchange their labor with climbing up to the tree to, for the expected satisfaction of the oranges. I don't think it necessarily follows that the guy in the wheelchair would not value the oranges simply because they're not accessible. 
Uh, uh, yes, it's sorry, but this is uh, sorry to interrupt, but but this is the li linguistic difference between valuing something and something having value. So, for instance, I value a million dollars, but I don't have a million dollars of value in my bank account. Okay, right, so I want but... it. I want it, but I don't actually possess the value. Right. So a guy who's at the bottom of the uh, a guy in a wheelchair at the bottom of the orange tree, he may value the oranges, but they will never be a value to him because he cannot get to them. He cannot own them. He, can, he cannot convert them into something that actually has value to him. It remains a desire, a yearning. Okay, um, but that's kind of implying that the oranges already have an intrinsic value, right? I'm not sure what you mean by intrinsic value. That the oranges uh, are, are only valuable when they're appropriated. I know what you're saying about the million dollars, but I just I don't follow that very well because it's like it's like when people go diving for pearls it's not that the pearls become valuable as soon as they're appropriated they're they're diving because the pearls already have value uh, to Oh yeah sure but but the uh, but the pearls that are not appropriated have no value I mean people value them for sure but I mean I value I don't know stuff in the hold of the Titanic but it has no value because it it's not being converted into something that's usable right I mean a fisherman casts a fisherman will cast his net into the ocean because he values fish but those fish do not have value if he does not catch them right you can't sell the fish you missed right Well I, well right but you're saying you're okay you're saying uh in exchange right you're saying well uh, you're talking about value and exchange. I'm talking about value in general. I don't distinguish exchange value and and actual value that people place on things. I think people go and appropriate those things because they already have value. Um, well, I mean, I think, I, 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 sorry, I, I'm, not, I'm of course it would be crazy for me to argue that people do stuff that they do not value. That somebody will go to the work of diving for pearls that they do not want. Of course, I mean that to me is a tautology that. When people act to gain a value, they value whatever it is they're trying to gain. I completely accept that for sure. Well, okay, that that's fine. I think I already I defined your position as as uh, talking specifically about exchange availability in the market, which is fine because I agree with that position. I just wanted to uh, kind of hear that clarified from you. I, it it almost sounded, or it was a possibility on my part that I thought that you maybe meant that the, these things uh, had no value whatsoever until they're uh, available for exchange in the market. Um, yeah, and they have that, value to people in the pursuit of them, but they, do, they cannot be traded until they are achieved, right? They cannot be traded until they right. are owned. And sell a fish right. until you can. Right, that, that's what I thought you said. I just wanted to have you clarify that position a little bit. That's fine. Um, yeah, I, th I think what, uh, what you, you're doing, and there's nothing wrong with it, it's just a language thing. I think that where you use the word value, I would use the word desire. Mm, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying there, but uh, I mean, I think everything's subjectively valued. If, if you don't have something at your disposal, uh, like a million dollars at the time, then you just place it lower on your value scale because you're not going to act with a million dollars if you don't have the means. Um, but it doesn't mean you don't value it. I mean, you could be saving or you can be uh, doing stuff to achieve a million dollars. You see what I'm saying? Um, oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, there's very few people who wouldn't value a million dollars for sure. Right. Um, yeah, it's just semantics. It's, it's, I just wanted to – that's what I thought you thought anyways, and I, and I do agree with that uh, position. I just wanted to uh, 
hear you clarify it a little bit. That's all. I'm done. No, and I'm, I'm really glad that you called in because this kind of stuff can be like 15 pages of board posts, right? <laughs> Which is like, I'm going to use the word desire in the ancient Aramaic sense of uh, nipple ring. Uh, so, no, I'm really glad that you called in because that can be uh, really hard for people to uh, to sort out. So, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm I'm just a, I'm just a nitpicker, you know, economist. <laughs> so uh, no, nitpicker is a nitpicker is yeah. great. We uh we love the nitpicking. I mean, nitpicking is 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 key, and value is something that is so intrinsic that uh, if, you know, if I've got it wrong, I certainly would want to correct it. And I think that we agree, but using slightly different language. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going back to just listen and talk to your other guest. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. That was uh, great to great to bring that up. All right. No problem. All right, next up, we have uh, the lovely Christina at the controls, and we were talking to Leo. Leo. Oh, my God, it's a lion. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry, go on. Ooh, marinade, that's nice. Is he on? No? Leo, Leon's not there. Okay, Project 3, I think that you are up like oranges in a tree. Oh, hello, sir. Hi. Hi, how you doing? I'm great, how are you? No, pretty good, pretty good. Um, our little economist friend, he's from the United States, San Pedro, is that correct? I, I couldn't tell you where he's from. Well, I can. Um, good. <laughs> <laughs> is there anyone else who's covering you'd like to blow? <laughs> what am I wearing? Sorry, go. <laughs> it's okay. Um, no, it's just, um, you know... Um, you know, I have a PhD and stuff, and it doesn't really seem to actually help me too much for what I do. And what's your PhD in? Uh, management of international non-governmental organizations. Ah, you related that to boring? Is that like <laughs> is that is that the most completely boring thing you ever heard in your life? <laughs> no, listen. I had a, I spent a, I spent a couple of weeks going through. South, no, Central America with uh, a woman who was the wife of a friend of mine who worked for a non-governmental agency. So I have nothing but fond memories of my association with that. So, um, so go ahead. <laughs> you went with the wife of your friend. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> is it because you creep people out that the uh, PhD is not uh, doing you anything, uh, any good? Because you have innuendo? Oh, but anyways. I was actually I was actually talk I was actually talking to a buddy of mine today. He's over. He's teaching in Brunei now, and um, and uh, you know what he said? He said a PhD means that you're permanently head damaged. Yeah, I've heard it also piled higher and deeper in terms of the what you shovel to get it, but uh, higher, higher and deeper. Oh, that's good too. Yeah. I I didn't I didn't think of that. Hold on, I'm going to write that one down. And, and to, not, not to sound too pressing, I know that you were, of course, a long-term academic, so this might come as a shock to you, but do you have a pertinent or relevant question for philosophy or economics or psychology? Yeah, well, okay. Uh, world economics is basically whoever can get the most that they can actually put in their pocket. That's what world economics is. Um, and politicians will always use... Um, the people around them to gain as much as they can possibly get before they have to get out of office. Um, is there a third one? Oh, yeah. These would, 
It would be comments, right? They're not particularly. And it's fine. I just want to make sure that there's not a question mark at the end of the thing. Third one. The third one is that you should always be as good as you can be um, personally, because um, nobody can beat yourself except yourself. You always have I to be the best. That from when I was fourteen. Yes, for sure. Okay. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, be sure to come back uh, with uh, more comments if you uh, if you have them. We do have uh, room for a caller. We're just waiting for one person to sort himself out. Uh, if you had a uh, a question or comments, just click on request Mike, and uh, I will try and dress like him. All right, DKSL zero four seven three six. You are cleared for landing. Hello, hello. I'm calling to you from Liverpool in the United Kingdom. Well, hello. Hello there. I'd like to ask this particular question, which I think is relevant to relevant to the philosophy of the of the, of the um, sort of conference, as you were. Um, do you think? Um, Qualifications today, although they're they're important in many respects, and do a, do a, do a lot um, to go towards the long-term ambitions of, of the various ones that are sitting exams to take the qualifications. But do you think at the moment, certainly in the UK, they're being handed out like confetti? I'm sorry. I just and I missed a little bit. There. Apparently, Liverpool is some sort of submarine. Uh, is uh, what what is it that's being handed out? No, what I'm saying is I'm talking about general qualifications that we have, like Doctor of Philosophy and all that sort of thing. All the various qualifications that we have, which are studied ah. for universities. Do you think at the moment they're being handed out like confetti? In other words, you know, people are just getting these things, and really, there's no no great substance to them at all. Well, I mean, that's an interesting question. Uh, to me, there are three kinds of degrees that um, that I sort of work with in terms of my own categorization of them. The first kind, which is, to me, the kind which indicates a certain kind of, of rigor and certain kind of skill set, which is not necessarily to say that it's always good, but that would be a legitimate degree from a Ivy League school of some kind. You know, you're McGill's, your York's, your University of Toronto's, your Princeton's, your Yale's, your Harvard's, your University of Liverpool, your Queen's, and so on. So I would say that where you have a you know a long term, long standing kind of degree granting institution, that somebody who's gotten a PhD from that, I mean, they may be mad as hatters and they may confuse comments with questions, but they may in fact uh, you know they will have certain kinds of writing skills and certain kinds of debating skills and and so on, certain kinds of language skills because those things are hard to get. You know, it's an average of five to seven years to get a PhD in most of the arts programs. I don't know what it is in the sciences. I don't imagine it's much shorter, followed by postgraduate work and so on. So there's quite a lot of rigor in those. And now in philosophy, that just means that you're more rigorously insane. But certainly in the arts, uh, in the sciences, it's a little better. So that's sort of one kind of – and those are not handed out like confetti. Those those take a lot of work uh, and a lot of time investment and a lot of opportunity. Yes, I accept that. Now, there's another, there's another kind, though, which is an honorary degree. Those are kind of handed out like candy, but I don't think those are taken very seriously. But then there are these kinds of uh, back-of-the-matchbook kind of uh, degree-granting institutions where somebody can say, well, I have a doctorate, and it's from some place in Costa Rica, you know, where you showed up and handed in a charcoal sketch of, um, I don't know, Eleanor Roosevelt or something. And uh, so those I would consider to be somewhat... 
dubious, if not wholly dubious. And we, in fact, know somebody who went <laughs> got one of those degrees. So, uh, but and, and she calls herself doctor and so on. But it's uh, it's doctor with three R's and a silent K and a trademark. So, <laughs> it's more of a brand than it is an education. So, uh, so if you can differentiate between these three kinds of degrees, then I think it's useful. But uh, I don't think that there's any accredited university that hands out that stuff like <coughs> Betty. Usually, takes a lot of work. Well, with the amount of um, sort of, we've got you know all the universities here in the UK, and we've got and we've got the government involved in in, in sort of um, a lot of um, what can only be called city colleges, which are which apparently are being made into universities in name only, um, and you know a lot of people are being handed out these these. Um, university degrees and what have you. What I'm trying to get at at the end of the day is, um, you know, some people say that, okay, it's nice to have a qualification and all the rest of it, but at the end of the day, it's, it's common sense and, and, you know, having the experience of doing something which is going to go a long way because it's half a dozen of one and six of the other, I think, in the sense that, um, you know, some people, you know, are good at, at, at um, some jobs and not others, and other people are good at other jobs and not, and, you know, not everything. It's very, very difficult to sort of differentiate between that who is qualified and those who can actually do the actual work. Well, I think, sorry to interrupt, but I think that's very true, and I think that's more true in the realm of philosophy um, and perhaps certain forms of literary appreciation than in any other field. And I can certainly tell you, based on my, I guess it's not now inconsiderable empirical experience, having run this show for a couple of years now, uh, the smartest people around tend to be those who don't have degrees. And the people who are the most rationally insane, if that makes any sense, tend to be those yeah, either yeah. with advanced degrees or those in pursuit of those degrees. And there's a free book. I just, just sort of finished it. You may want to check it out because I do talk about this to, to quite a considerable degree and I think in a, a way that's hopefully uh, entertaining and enjoyable at freedomainradio.com forward slash free. You can download the audiobook or the PDF of a book called Everyday Anarchy where I do talk about the, um, the corruptions that occur in the realm of higher education. Because sure. there are a lot of people who are intimidated by advanced degrees. And uh, I think that you really quite often only advance in sophistry and falsehood when you move up the chain in academia. Can I just make just one further point before I you know, pass on to somebody else? Sure. Uh, and that is, in, 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 in the realms of university degrees, you know, two people can have exactly the same degree. Um, but different points scored. In other words, one might have a you know a first class um, one point one or whatever it might be, and the other one might have a, you know a second class. But they can both get the same job. Uh, but one is not as talented as the as the other. But a lot of people don't look at the actual degree itself. You know, they're, they're quite happy knowing that someone's got a degree. But the strength of that degree is another matter. A lot of no, organisations don't know totally that. Right. Yeah, that's entirely right. And, and certainly a year or two or maybe three after you graduate, nobody cares about what, what marks you got. I mean, it, it has a short-term and transitory value uh, as, you, as you move forward for sure. So, um, you know, it, it's just it's easier, it's easier to judge people. Um, if, you know, it's easier to have a first cut in terms of degrees 
uh, for some people. It's the same reason as maybe some, you know, you don't have to, you, you'll wear a suit to a job interview even if the job doesn't require you to wear a suit. It's just something that people prefer, but I sometimes think that it limits uh, almost more than it, um, uh, than it expands. So when I was uh, in a software entrepreneur, the, the people that I hired, um, by far the worst programmers I ever hired were those with advanced degrees in computer science and those who were either self-taught or who had um, a, a sort of one or two year technical course uh, were by far the most targeted and creative uh, people. So I actually began to avoid people um, with advanced degrees in computer science because uh, they just they just didn't understand. Maybe they just spent too long in academia, but they just didn't understand the concept of value and uh, and business, and they would just go off on their own little quests without wondering or without being too particularly troubled about whether it made the company money or not. So they were expensive and unproductive. So that was sort of my experience. Um, I just look for proof in the pudding rather than in the recipe, if that makes sense. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. In fact, uh, this is a, this is a uh, matter of interest. We've got a program over here, which I don't know whether you've seen yet um, anywhere else or where you are. Um, we've got a program here called The Apprentice, which is on, on um, BBC television. And it it's, it's, uh, involves a businessman by the name of Sir Alan Sugar, which you may have heard about. You may have heard of him. Um, and he goes through um, basically a rigorous interview process in which um, several participants who work for him have to do a series of um, little jobs in the way to make a lot of money for him. And each week, um, if, the, if the two teams who participate, if one of them doesn't make the money uh, or the grade, as it were, um, um, yeah, they, you know, they lose out on, on whatever, um, then one of them gets fired. Um, and it's, it's a very, very rigorous sort of process. But what is interesting about this is that every single one of them that, that, um, that, that, that go for this particular competition, as it were, um, you know, are supposed to be, you know, budding entrepreneurs and successful people in their own way. Yet when you actually see them doing the work, this work that they're given, some of them haven't a bloody clue. They just haven't a clue at all. Well, business requires a generosity of spirit towards the bottom line and towards customers, which yeah. the sort of self-obsessed nature of, of advanced degrees uh, doesn't facilitate at all. So, well, thank you very much. Those were very interesting points. I'm going to, just before we move to the next listener, I'm going to put forward a theory. I don't know if there's any way to ever prove this, but um, given the gentleman's voice, the fact that he was from a coastal town, the fact that I think I could hear piping and creaking in the background, I'm pretty sure we were speaking to a pirate. So I think that's really cool. And, and, you know, with the internet connection, it could have, in fact, been pirate radio. So we will figure that out at some point. But uh, have arsed! Let's move on to the next listener. So uh, uh, anyway, uh, if you would... Uh, oh, now it's a good time to mention FDR. FDR, uh, 42nd President of the United States, had a wife who looked like two miles of bad road and dropped chickens regularly. Uh, anyway, uh, Free Domain Radio, freedomainradio.com, number one philosophy conversation on the internet, full of brilliant people that I always try to keep up with, so... We have, ah, uh, Dr. Watson, I presume. Yes, yes, encore. Um, do you speak French? <laughs> no, uh, not, not, I, you know what, I can, f I have a pretty good pronunciation. I can fool a waiter in Quebec for about 30 seconds. Uh, so, uh, but, but other than that, no, it's, it's restaurant French uh, with, a, with a good accent, and uh, that was mostly just so, yeah, basically. So basically, you understand the basic principles. Um, all you have to do is find the bathroom and be polite. 
Absolutely. And, uh, uh, and apparently uh, it's very important to be a masochist in French restaurants because they seem to want to bring you pain. I don't know what that means. And sometimes the pain will be in a basket. <laughs> no, no. Pain. Pain. It's bread. Oh, yes, I know. But thank you. There's nothing better than the joke that is explained. I appreciate that. Would you like to back over it once or twice more in the uh, explanation truck? But, sorry, go. <laughs> That's funny. That's really funny. So you've been doing this for a couple of years, have you? I sure have. I used to be well, I guess, a real job, but I quit about a year ago to work on this full time. You know, I actually, um, I actually, the first degree I got was actually in uh, audio, video, television production uh, up in Oregon. Oh, well, sorry, just to interrupt you, uh, I'd just like to apologize in advance if you ever listen to my show. Um, just, just ahead of time, it's good to know that the early ones were recorded in a car um, with a microphone that was actually composed of about two yogurt cups and some strings. So uh, just so you know, ahead of time, uh, just some apologies in advance, but sorry, go on. Okay. <laughs> if it works for you, it works for me, I guess. <laughs> no, I was just, um, I was thinking about it because uh, you were saying something about higher degrees and stuff, you know, and it took me 17 long, well, uh, I got my degree in 93 and it was very difficult and I was working all the time. And I'm sorry, so just to interrupt you for a second, for, because most of the uh, listeners in the audience are very young and have a really tough conception of, of going back that far. But he does mean 1993. For a lot of our internet audiences, they would get confused. <laughs> just, just so you know, just for the younger people among us, uh, this is uh, around the age of grunge, which is the equivalent of classical music to you. But sorry, go on. <laughs> that's funny. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's how it feels sometimes, you know. You're sitting there, you're dealing with somebody... Um, practical knowledge is really important. Um, I, that was the one thing I did pick up on. Uh, practical knowledge is very, very important, but most people don't use practical knowledge. They just, they just, they just don't. They, they, they rather sit there and play Nintendo or Xbox or whatever they call these things, PS2 or whatever. Um, but they don't actually go out there in the world and they don't actually do stuff. And that's really, really important. It's really important to actually uh, put yourself in the world and actually um, um, try to make something happen. And I like what you said about like the young guys as far as like the guys you're hiring for your company and stuff. Um, it's true. Um, most of the most of the, the most of the guys and gals that I used in my company. Uh, were really really cool, but they were like two three year students. You know, they were they hadn't been out, you know, really exposed, but they were very creative, and they could come up with solutions. And that's really that's what you're looking for. You're looking for solutions, and you know, how do we fix that? How do we do this? Um, yeah, so I agree with you on that one. Yeah, I always wanted employees, and I, I would sometimes use this metaphor just to freak them out, because a lot of them are computer guys, and I had to uh, introduce them to metaphor slowly uh, through PHP. But um, uh, one of the things that I was always wanting was this, you know, you want to, when you problem solve, you want to be like, like a, um, a stream going down a mountainside, right? The stream doesn't hit a rock and say, oh, well, I guess I'll just sit here and pool myself into oblivion. No, it no, it goes around it, it goes around it. 
just keeps going and it keeps going and it's unstoppable and that's really what you need because yep. I mean IT in particular is a lot about managing frustration because it's so annoying uh, well, a life, lot of times life, life, life's like that life's like yeah, that no, that's very true that's very true that's very true my and, wife is nodding a little too vehemently yeah. sorry yeah, yeah you, re- you, you actually you actually have a good handle on it no, I'm, I'm surprised because uh, there's very very few people in this world that actually do yeah, and, and those people who were unstoppable were the people who were just gold, right? Whereas the other people, you'd give them a management directive and it'd be like pushing a brick along concrete. Go here, and then as soon as you stop pushing, they'd stop, right? Whereas you just want to say, here's your destination, find your own way, and you just want those people who are not going to let up on the clutch until they get there. And I did you, find you some... Sound, Sorry, go ahead. You sound, you sound so much like I sounded when I was younger, you know, like, like, like 20 years ago. Um, how, how old I'm, are you? 45 now. Sweet and, God. Yeah, I know. Wow. And and I'm I'm really surprised because you you're talking almost as fast as I would always talk, you know, just like bam 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 bam, you know. Okay. Now, let's go, let's go, let's go. This is the way you do it. This is like, you know, this and this and this and this and everybody is like always pushed. Um, you know what? You know the that most North American people have today is they have too much credit card debt, too much debt. And they're 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 working just to pay off their debt because they're living beyond their means. Well, I mean, first of all, we we'll, we can't make this too long a discussion because you're 45 and I know it's almost time for your uh, cookies and nap, but um Yeah, all well, right, we, thanks. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, thanks. Yeah, wait, that don't tie, tie yourself out. Don't tie yourself out being. Don't tie yourself out being upset because that's just going to make it that much sooner. Um, but, uh, we'll get you your oval and a foot rub. But um, uh, no, I'm 41. Just in case you were wondering, so this is not a big deal for me. But, um, okay, so. So but no, see, I think as far as Americans go, and this is mostly what I know about in terms of the U.S. economy, it's to some degree in the case in Canada as well. I'm not exactly sure, and I don't know what the the statistics are on this. So this is all just a bunch of nonsense opinion. Well, you don't have to worry about it. Well, my uh, my my perception or my belief is is not that people just suddenly got greedy and wanted to live beyond their means. The problem is that the economy and the taxes and so on is going so badly that people are going into debt because they took on obligations when the dollar was stronger and their take home pay was higher. And they have a lot of fixed expenses, such as children and in food and and housing and mortgages and so on. And yeah, unfortunately, right. the economy is sort of collapsing underneath them. And it's not that they just suddenly want to spend more. It's that they're going into debt just to stay at the same place because they have obligations they can't get out of. May, may I? May I say something? Sure, yeah. I have no debt. That's good. Zero. <laughs> I don't pay anybody any interest for nothing. And Zero. did you buy a house, or like, how did you did you save to buy the house and then buy it all at once, or do you not own a no, house? I and paid, how did you? I, I paid cash. Okay, so you saved before you bought the house, or you you got a big chunk of change and bought the house all at once. Yeah, yeah. When I was in Southern California, I was paying like fifteen hundred bucks a, a a month just for rent, not including water, or electricity, and stuff. And I, I, I scrolled my money away, and um, I paid cash. Well, so in a sense, though, you just had future debt, right? Because you paid, you scrolled money away, 
exactly this you would have handed it to a bank well, right? you know it's like it's a, every country always wants to have tax so you still have to pay like property tax and stuff okay you, you never can get away from that for some stupid reason i've never figured that one out exactly um but no i don't i i have no no loan no mortgage i don't have to pay anything except for like you know basic it's it's cool i like it Okay, well, that's uh, certainly the degree to which debt can be avoided. Now, I particularly, I, I, my wife and I went into debt to buy a house, um, which is, you know, I don't consider that six of one, half a dozen of the other. That, to me, is more of an investment. But uh, certainly, in, thing, in terms of things like electronics and stuff, you buy clothing and so on that decays in value immediately, going into debt for that kind of stuff is a, a slow good, form good. of fiscal suicide for sure. Yeah, good point. Good point on that because um, the moment that you buy a car – you buy electronics, anything, all of that always depreciates immediately. Real oh, yeah. estate. I've had the same car. For, I've, I've had the same car for ten years, and I I couldn't be happier with it, and I hope to have it for another ten years, and I'll be happy. You know, like if there's if I'm the only car left, and everyone else has got jetpacks, I'll still be driving this car because that's the kind of stuff. Now you see, and- now that now that is the mark of a smart person. A smart person um, doesn't need to like keep up with the Joneses. A smart oh yeah, person. well, the jo- especially when the Joneses are driving off a cliff, right? <laughs> hey, let's keep up so we can pull the Thelma and Louise together, right? That just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And the last, I don't want to be around people who are going to jump. All right. I want to be around people who do. Yeah. Uh, sorry, this would be in the classic section for the younger people. But I mean, who who do, I don't want to be around people who are going to judge me by my car. I want to be around people who are going to judge me. Um, you know, by uh, the hotness of my wife, and of course, actually, I'm going to actually, actually, I, I, I don't want to be around anyone that judges me. Um, my friends would never judge me; they would just be happy that they have the um, the glory of actually being with me. Um, when somebody judges you, they're not worth being around. Period. All right. Well, um, I think we do have somebody else waiting. Was there anything else that you wanted to uh, to chime in? If you'd like to drop by the website, you may enjoy some uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll drop by the website. And um, if I could say one last one thing. Um, sure. Dance in your own living room. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like a commandment. I think we should. Yeah. Dance in your own living room. All right. Oh, let's put out my hip. Oh, God, I'm over 40. Hang on. Let me sit down. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. That's uh, good uh, Good words of advice. And we are just um, – uh, oh, they came and they went. So we'll just wait for uh, – if you, if you have a question or a comment or wish to chime in, this is uh, Free Domain Radio, the biggest, meanest, toughest – most exciting, most thrilling, most personal, most active philosophy conversation the world has, uh, I think, ever seen. And uh, it's at freedomainradio.com. The books uh, are out for free. They were not for free for some time, but uh, given that donations seem to be working out beautifully, um, I just wanted to tell people to go past freedomainradio.com forward slash free. You can pick up some great, great books, I think, um, audiobooks, PDFs. There are print books. Uh, they're not free because uh, we love the trees. But um, you can pick up all of that stuff, uh, and I hope that you will enjoy it. The, there's a book. Uh, I guess the first one I wrote last year, uh, at least in this vein, was On Truth, The Tyranny of Illusion. 
which is about some of the challenges of bringing integrity and curiosity to your personal relationships, particularly with your family. And uh, the second is called Universally Preferable Behavior, a rational proof of secular ethics. And that really was uh, my stab at trying to slay the biggest beast in the history of philosophy, which is a way to prove ethics without reference to government, society, or God. Uh, I think I took a fairly good swing at it. The thesis is held now for, since it was initially introduced, I guess about two and a half years ago, it's held strong. So I think I would definitely recommend checking that out. The third is Real-Time Relationships, which uh, is a book that, about how to get along uh, in your relationships that my wife ordered me to write uh, as a form of, uh, like, you know, how, how bad people have to write lines, bad kids. Uh, so I wrote all of that stuff dutifully, or I should say she dictated it to me, uh, and it really is about how to get along in relationships, which is to, uh, I think the, the technical phrase is to despine, but uh, it works out beautifully. Uh, and the, uh, the third one is the most recent, it's called Everyday Anarchy which is uh, a way of looking at uh, anarchy, which is stateless society, which is certainly what uh, I advocate as the moral and just uh, world that we should aim at. Uh, it's a way of helping people to understand that anarchy is not a foreign concept that exists in some deranged, over-mustachioed Russian brain, but is actually a state that they operate within in their personal lives in terms of their jobs, in terms of looking for their marriage partners, and so on, that we live anarchy far more than we live political society and the proof of anarchy is in the mirror. So uh, those are the books that are available for free. I hope that you will grab a hold of them. And if you like them, I hope that you will come and dictate uh, do, do, to um, donate just a few shekels. Uh, I also take Daenery. And uh, interestingly enough, I found that you can actually get goats delivered to, um, to my house. So that's another option. Um, Christine is a vegetarian, but I do like the milk. So um, if you can do that, that would be fantastic. And we have... Uh, Oh, I think we are actually, in fact, out of listeners. So uh, if you, it's a good time to wind up the uh, call for this Sunday. This is a show that happens every Sunday. We've um, not been able to do it on Skypecast for a while, for about a year now, actually, because um, the Skypecasts have been not so much with the working. But um, if we are not around on Skypecast, you can come to freedomainradio.com, click on forums or come click on the chat. And uh, you can give your Skype name. We'll dial you into a regular old conference call. But we hope to have this running uh, as a Skype cast from here on in until I bequeath it to uh, next of kin, I guess. So um, no one else coming in. Thank you so much, everybody, for dropping by this Sunday afternoon. I hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Feel free to drop by freedomainradio.com, pick up all the goodies. All the podcasts are commercial-free and completely free. And um, just as a reminder, we've had to postpone the London Symposium, and we're actually going to hold it in Anchorage, Alaska in February. So uh, those of us who were lobbying for a thong-based uh, symposium may want to consider the shrinkage. So that probably will be off. But everyone, thank you so much for dropping by. I hope that you have a wonderful week, and I will talk to you all soon. <laughs>